Hello, friends, and welcome to Men Do Disney, episode 98, Listener Supported. My name is Pete, and joining me tonight is Tom. Listener Supported, volume 7. We're three guys who want to help you make the most of your Disney World vacation, as well as to bring some of that Disney magic into your life every day. So put on your favorite pair of Mickey ears, lower your safety harness, remain seated until the ride has come to a complete stop, and men, let's do Disney. Was that a guess, or do you really know that it's number seven? I mean, I feel like we're in that five to seven range. I mean, look, we're almost at 100 episodes. That feels about right. Like, every 20 episodes, we, we have something like this. I, it feels like it's been a while since we've done done a listener-supported episode. Well, we had a lot of follow-up, I guess, from the last episode, as well as some things we we had accumulated from others. Very true. So, we will get into that here in just a minute. Before we do, I want to hit the news real quick. Not a ton of news this week, but we do have some uh, important things to go through. So getting started, uh, first and foremost, we did have an incident on the Skyliner on Saturday night. Pictures started circulating on social media of several of the cars crashed into each other at the Riviera Resort, and uh, guests were stranded for about three hours and then later had to be evacuated by crane. Disney uh, hasn't really announced anything official on why this happened, but they did say that they were looking into it and that the Skyliner does remain closed until further notice. Guests that were impacted by this did receive a $100 gift card and a uh, park hopper ticket, but doesn't really seem like enough from Disney. A lot of these folks were stuck for a long time. They did get to open the emergency kits in the gondolas, which, uh, which had water and some human waste receptacles. So that's exciting. Up next, we do have a Disney PhotoPass Archive USB available for purchase for annual pass holders and for guests who buy memory makers. This is going to be a USB with all of your Disney uh, Disney Vacation PhotoPass pictures on it. And it is available for a purchase price of $35. This downloads all your pictures. You don't have to worry about saving them, anything like that. Just plug it into your computer and all your pictures are there. Primeval World is open again. Uh, It opened on Friday. What we heard is that it is open, but but its status keeps going from open to close and back again. So no telling what they're trying to do with this attraction or what what exactly it's going to happen with it. Uh, I wouldn't plan on riding it if you are going down there. Disney also released on Friday the 2020 Resort Hotel Offers. Uh, most most hotels have a 25% discount from January through April when you book by January, January 1st. There is also free dining. Again, that is good most nights between January 1st and March 7th. Again, when you book by January 1st. And this is when you buy, you have to buy a non-discounted three-day, three-night package. So no telling why they've announced this. I, I guess crowd levels are just not, uh, not what they've uh, expected. Epcot Forever did uh, did start this past week. I have not seen it in person, obviously. Haven't been down at Disney, but uh, but did watch the first night. I like it. It's very nostalgic Disney. I think it's fine for the you know year or whatever that it's going to be here. We'll we'll see how people uh, how people enjoy it. I I will say that I do like Illuminations more, but this is new, and it, it's not going to be around that long. So it, it's certainly no Rivers of Light. I'll give it that. And then finally, it looks like food and beverage prices have increased across Disney World. 
we've we've just seen a lot of stuff go up 10 cents 20 cents 15 cents here and there drinks food i mean it's it's pretty much across the uh, across the board another big th- big uh, price increase actually up a, a dollar the uh the refillable mugs that uh, that you get staying at the resorts, the price of those has gone up a dollar from eighteen ninety nine to nineteen ninety nine, and I I swear I remember when these things used to be thirteen or fourteen dollars for the length of your stay. Well, now they're up to twenty. That is really all the news that we've got for this week. Well, before we get into our listener questions, let's pause for just a minute to hear from our sponsor, Kingdom Strollers. So your family is coming to Orlando. And the thought of lugging your stroller onto the plane isn't your idea of fun. But you're smart enough to know that conquering the theme parks of Orlando without a stroller for your kids could be a vacation killer. As parents ourselves, we get it. You're not asking for much. You just want the convenience of a clean, affordable stroller or crib delivered to your hotel or vacation home, ready to use. Welcome to Kingdom Strollers, a Disney-featured stroller and crib provider that does exactly what you're looking for at a great price. To book your stroller or crib, just click on the item you'd like to reserve and select the dates for your rental. We run a tight ship, so we will never overbook. Next, tell us where you're staying and choose the times for delivery and pickup. Then, choose from helpful free accessories like cooler bags and rain covers. It couldn't be easier. If you have any questions or concerns, you can check our FAQ page or just give us a call. We are always ready to answer your questions. Once you've placed your reservation, there's nothing left to do except count down the days until you're in sunny Florida. So what are you waiting for? Go ahead and book your stroller or crib from Kingdom Strollers today. Okay, so let's get started. For those of you new, pretty simple. You write in your questions. We take the time every, like Tom said, 20, 25, 30 episodes, whatever. Whenever, whenever it tickles our pickle, we take the time to answer some of your questions. And we've, we've got several tonight to answer that, that came from our last episode on Galaxy's Edge. I'm kind of excited about this. I feel like we're in the know about Galaxy's Edge, right? I mean, it hasn't been open that long. I feel like I missed the boat on Pandora when it opened. It took me like a year to get there. But uh, we, we're, we, got, we got down to Galaxy's Edge pretty quick. Yeah, we weren't far behind the opening date. And now we've had you know extensive experiences there. I've been uh, a few times now and so uh yeah we can dive right in i guess well, our, our first question and this was a follow-up to our last episode what is the top thing to do in galaxy's edge as i think about the what we discussed i don't know that we uh let's see i don't i don't know that we explained very well what the top thing to do would be i think what we were trying to illustrate was that there are so many things to do in galaxy's edge that it's starkly different than pandora the world of avatar because it's not just about the attractions and the restaurants it's the entire experience of being there. But if you put, you know, as, as my wife said, in the first 15 minutes, what do we want to see in Galaxy's Edge? If it's a site, you have to go see the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, I, I think that both you and I both did this. We, we stumbled our way. Let me take a step back. We, we both walked into Galaxy's Edge with an idea what was there, right? I mean, we've, we've read what's there. We both kind of had a basic understanding of the outlay of the land, but neither one of us really looked at a map before we went in there. And so we stumbled our way in the front, walked through the market, and, and I think had the same experience, just came around the corner and there's the Millennium Falcon. That's a that's a cool sight. So I, I think, I mean, obviously you're going to see that if you're going to Galaxy's Edge, right? So I don't know if that's a, a must-do. I mean, it is a must-see, but you're going to see it if you're in Galaxy's Edge. It's, it's hard to miss. You have to go to the back of Galaxy's Edge, though. I mean, you could stay theoretically in the front and in the market, 
and you're not going to see it. That's true. But if you're going anywhere near the ride, near Smuggler's Run, you're, you're going to see it. Correct. Correct. And and the views of the Falcon from the queue of Smuggler's Run are, are pretty cool too, right? You you miss that doing single rider, but but you do get a, a very good view of the Falcon going through the queue also. Very true. Yep. I, now, I guess how would you rank Ogas versus Smuggler's Run? I'd, I'd rather do Ogas than Smuggler's Run. I think so too. And I think that's with or without enjoying an alcoholic beverage or just having any drink inside of Ogas. Yeah, I mean, if... if it, if you're going to wait 45 minutes, I'd, I'd rather wait 45 minutes for Ogas than I would 45 minutes for Smuggler's Run. Unless maybe if you have a group of six. And, and again, we're if you're a diehard Star Wars fan, there's nothing better than flying the Millennium Falcon, so go do that, certainly. But also if, as a diehard Star Wars fan, I mean, going into Ogas is going to bring back some memories too. So I guess if I had to pin it down to one must-see or must-do thing at Galaxy's Edge, I, th- I think it's Ogas. Right, it's it's expensive, but even if you go in, you have a non-alcoholic drink. It's worth doing. I'm with you. No, I think, yeah, I think Ogas is probably the number one thing to do in Star Wars or in Galaxy's Edge. Other than that, trying the blue or green milk. If if you don't have time to go into Ogas, I think that's a must a must do thing as well. Just overall, go in, just wander because it it really does feel big and it it feels alive. See what you can find. You know, have interactions with cast members. All that, all that are all those are things to do that you're going to do just kind of naturally and organically when you go through the land. Now, this this answer may change once Rise of the Resistance opens. Everything that we've heard, and, and we've talked to a couple of cast members about it. Everything that we've heard is that this is supposed to be the biggest and best thing that Disney's ever done. So we'll see where that where that comes out, uh, or how this answer changes and evolves. Once that ride opens uh, in December, yeah, I, th- I think that's a, a very, a very good way to put it. I and mean, we can only judge what what is there today, and we're treating this as if you're going to Disney World before Rise of Resistance opens in December. Uh, but kind of along the same lines, we had another question. We we spoke extensively about Oga's uh, Canteen Cantina, obviously, in our last episode. What other drink or dining locations are even in Galaxy's Edge, and how would you describe them? Uh, would they be considered family friendly? So I think the easiest way is that I'm going to list them off and then we can kind of dive into each of them. Uh, there's Docking Bay 7, Food and Cargo. There is the Milk Stand, which we've talked uh, significantly about. There is Ronto Roasters and there's uh, Katsaka's Kettle. Let's let's start with the Milk Stand and, and Katsaka's Kettle because those are both stands, right? Okay. I mean, they're, yep. they're, they're dining locations, but not really. The Milk Stand, you can get blue milk or green milk with or without alcohol. That's it. Katsaka's Kettle, you can get popcorn. Yeah, they have they have the popcorn and they also have the outpost mix there. Okay, so there you go. So or the I guess the outpost mix would have some pop maybe have some popcorn in it. I think so. So yeah. family friendly. Yeah, sure. I mean they're in the middle of the land. Rano Roasters. You get to walking through the marketplace. It's actually at the end of the marketplace. It is a very much a quick service location. Now both both Rano Roasters and Docking Bay Seven are are quick service locations, but. Rana Roasters is a very limited menu compared to what you get at Talking Base Seven. Kind of open air area. It's it's really cool theming actually inside of inside of Rana Roasters. I did walk through it as well. I know Pete actually ate there or got something to go from there. Uh, they have mobile ordering. It certainly is family friendly. It's somewhere where you could get. Is it the Rana Wrap? That's kind of the more most popular thing there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what I would recommend if you're going if you're going to Rana Roasters, and that's more. It's quick on the go. You don't really have to enter anywhere. You just kind of walk through the market and stumble upon it. Docking Bay number seven, I, I would describe as more like Satuli Canteen in that 
And neither one of us ate it at Docking Bay 7 when we were there. We probably should have instead of trying to go over to the Polynesian, but I would I would kind of liken that to Satuli Canteen in that it's got a little bit more exotic food. You're not going to go in and find a cheeseburger or pizza. It's going to be a little bit more exotic. I haven't heard anything bad about this place. I mean, I haven't heard anybody complain about the food. I think it's expensive, but but I would say that everything in Galaxy's Edge is overpriced at this point. Yeah, I think I think where he says it's like Satuli Canteen, I think more of the theming of it, where it's it's ridiculously themed. It's exotic food from all over the galaxy. It will not be familiar from from looking at it. Uh, what it is, they certainly tried to theme it well. Disney's trying to get out of the box with some creative offerings, but again, I mean, I, I was going to say there's better places to eat in Hollywood Studios. I don't know if there are. I mean, it's it's standard, it's standard what you would expect uh, with a little bit of creativity mixed in, and then ridiculous theming. I mean, it keeps you in uh, Galaxy's Edge, and it keeps you on the planet of Batu. And again, neither one of us ate there. Maybe Tom will here shortly, but, you know, so I can't speak to the quality of the food or anything like that, but I think definitely family family friendly. So next question we have, I'm not a Star Wars fan, but I think I want to visit Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. What background into Star Wars should I be aware of? You really don't have to have a whole lot of Star Wars knowledge. Galaxy's Edge takes place between... Episodes 8 and 9, right? So kind of where we are right now in the Star Wars galaxy. So it, it is helpful to know a little bit about what's going on. The First Order, the Resistance, you know, where we are, Rey, Poe, all the new characters. It is a little helpful to know that. If you've seen the movies, if you've seen The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, you, you've got all the Star Wars knowledge that you need as, as, far as, as far as the setting. Yeah, I would say the main thing to realize... And this is actually what I believe is more important to understand. This is not Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, Obi-Wan. I mean, th- this is after all of that. So Kylo, yes. R- Kylo Ren is going to be present here as the kind of the lead villain, if if you will. Chewbacca is here, but you're not going to see the classic Star Wars characters from the, from the 80s and 90s. In, in Galaxy's Edge, that's correct. Now, well, that's not exactly true because you do... Get Yoda during the lightsaber building experience, right? Yeah, okay. But you don't get a care. You get a voice. Yeah, but you're not... Darth Vader's not walking around. Luke Skywalker's not walking around, right? This is this is very much set... Right. The meet and greets aren't going to be Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, and Darth Vader. Correct. But, but other than that, I mean, you really don't... If you've seen the Star Wars movies, you will recognize things from the Star Wars movies. Some of the droids that are there. Obviously, the Millennium Falcon is plays a big part in in Galaxy's Edge. It's one of the rides. So I I think the more you know about Star Wars, the more kind of hidden things or or Easter eggs or whatever you want to call them, you'll see. But but those things are not necessary to enjoy the land. Very similar to to Pandora at Animal Kingdom. You don't have to know anything about Avatar to enjoy Pandora. And and I think this is by design, right? I, I don't think Disney wanted to alienate anyone. I'm not a Star Wars fan. I'm not going into Galaxy's Edge. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think the people who are diehard Star Wars fans are certainly going to find more things there that they care about than the people that aren't, but it's not going to impact the fun or the excitement or joy you're going to feel either way. You know, maybe the people who are diehard Star Wars fans would have more fun flying flying uh, Smuggler's Run and Millennium Falcon than someone like me, who is a casual Star Wars fan. I've seen every movie. Yeah, it was really cool being the right pilot and, and doing doing those tasks, but there's better attractions to me because... You know, Star Wars isn't my my end all and be all, you know, deal. So I think that's a that's a good way to understand it and 
of course, like Pete said, Disney's not, tra- Disney's not going to alienate anyone here. They want everyone to enjoy all aspects of the park. And as much as they invested in Galaxy's Edge, they need people to enjoy it. Here's one um, that actually is coming up on a, on a pending trip of mine, so I can I can probably take the lead. We had someone reach out and ask us for our thoughts on the midday magic ticket that Disney World offered. Uh, we mentioned it on the podcast. We mentioned it on the podcast at a point, and essentially what this is, you can go into the park afternoon, uh, after 12 noon, that is, and stay until close. And so you can book your fast passes for after 12 p.m. You go into the park, you enjoy it. Uh, it is a reduced ticket price. And there are a couple things to be aware of. You cannot just do a one-day midday ticket, midday magic ticket. So you can't just say, hey, we have an early morning flight. We're going to do the first day midday magic and then the second day full full ticket. That That is not acceptable. Disney's a little smarter than that. Uh, so what it is, it's at minimum two days. Uh, you can add park hopper to it, I believe. And here's where we're finding it to be useful. We're going to Disney World, not staying in a good neighbor hotel. Uh, so we, rent, we rented a house down in Orlando. And we're going for the race. We're going for the, I think it's the Princess Half Marathon is what my wife's running. And at first we were going to buy full tickets going to the park as early as we could in the morning, which I understand we would, we would not be able to use the extra morning magic hours. Then I realized, hey guys, we can save a little bit of money by buying these midday magic tickets, go in at noon every day, set our fast passes up for the afternoon, set them up right there from you know, 12, 12 05, 105, 205 and have a better chance of getting six or nine people together on a fast pass. So that's where I think it's beneficial. Being the early morning guy that I am at Disney World, it's going to kill me to not go in until noon, but I think it, it works for that trip. Uh, another another thought, if you like to sleep in, or you've been to Disney World tons of times and you'd rather do other things in the morning, maybe consider this. I just understand it's at minimum two days you do have to purchase this ticket. Yeah, the only the only thing I'll say on this is you, while you do save a little bit of money, it's not that much money. Right, it's on a two-day ticket. It's fifty dollars. Yeah, it's not. It's not a ton of money. Uh, but the way we looked at it was, like I said, I mean, so we're running the, the. You have the first day that Friday night. I think we're going just to not so scary. Then Saturday, we were saying, okay, we can we can sleep in, stay up real late at not so scary, and go into I think Hollywood Studios on Saturday. Then then they run the race Sunday morning, and so it's like, well, they wanted to go back and nap anyway. The World Showcase is primarily what that group wants to do, and in that case, you're not really missing a ton. So. That's how we how we came to the decision to buy it. Now, my wife and I obviously are annual pass holders. I would uh, be surprised if I don't sneak into the park before noon on many of those days. But that that was our thought process behind it. But I'm with you, Pete. I, I wouldn't buy it for myself personally, but I do understand its value in situations like this. Fair enough. Uh, next question. You guys were just at Food & Wine recently. What were your top must-have Food & Wine items? And I think we kind of hit on this in our last episode, but... Tom, what are, what are your must uh, must haves at Food and Wine? Off the top of my head, I mean, the, the one thing I think you have to try and just understand that it's going to be a little bit more expensive is the lobster roll. I think, but we've talked about that it, it you know a ton. So lobster roll for sure, number one. Pete, you know, as far as must haves, yeah, the lobster rolls up there. I'm I'm trying to think if there's any. I don't know. I mean, I the thing for me about Food and Wine is that I I really like to try the new things that come out. So you know, as far as there being must haves for me. Apart from the lobster, I don't know that I really have anything. Maybe the maybe the soup from uh, Le Cellier, but but that's something that you can get year round if you actually dine at the restaurant. So I don't know if that's really a food and wine specific item. I thought I thought if if we're talking about a drink, I thought the beer flight you had in Germany was okay. It was good. It was good. I thought that I thought it was well worth what you spent on it. I didn't think it was over, crazy overpriced, and it, it was three different, totally different. T- um, 
tasting beers. Four, four. Or four, that's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. By the time I got there, I think maybe a couple of them were done on your plate. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, I don't know that there's anything that is a must-have for me other than other than the lobster roll. That's something that I tend to get every time I go back for food and wine. But I really do like to try try something new every time I go. I like the cheese bread in Brazil, but I don't know that I really have a, a must-have. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard. I You know, I, I think the, the cheesecake sampler is good. I think the mac and cheese is good that you can get at Active Eats. I believe that's what it's called. It's it's all about what us saying what the top five food and wine items, it's it's all subjective. I mean, it's going to be your opinion and what you like to eat. You know, I, I know the India Pavilion always had a very long line or the India booth. I didn't have, I didn't, I don't have a taste for that type of food, you know, so I didn't wait in it. You know, there was a, a obviously the Norway booth always had a really long line uh, and Pete did wait in that one. If, if you want to, if you want to go with the most popular, find the longest lines. Because all the lines move really quickly. So if there's a long line, it means something's really good there. Yeah. So another question from our last episode. Uh, they mentioned, uh, the question reads, Tom, last episode you talked about your hotel not linking and kind of the process there. What exactly were you referring to and why does that matter? Yeah, I didn't really go into detail on this. I just briefly mentioned it and and I can understand why that would have been confusing. So when you stay at a Disney Good Neighbor Hotel or a Disney Springs area hotel, you actually have to provide the guest names to the Hilton or the Marriott, whatever you're staying at in Disney Springs. Then they communicate on the back end to Disney World. Then your reservation will appear in your My Disney Experience app with your name and either all of your guest names or slots where you actually go through Disney and then fill your guest names in. And so it all matches up. So you have access to 60-day Fast Passes for all those, all those guests, and you have access to extra morning magic hours. What happened in this instance is when I linked when I linked our reservation the first time, I had it at, for a party of one because at that point we didn't think it mattered because we were thinking we weren't thinking long term. We were like, oh well, let's get a. It's a cheaper room rate if it's one versus four. Well, and we typically never use extra magic hours anyway. Right. And when we realized it was extra magic hours everywhere, we're like, well, we're not going to go into a park an hour later. So I then went to try and uh, I guess update this reservation, and I could update it with Hilton, but I, but they couldn't. For some reason, Hilton wasn't communicating that to Disney, which made it quite frustrating. And so the risk that I felt like we were running was we would go into Animal Kingdom or Galaxy's Edge at 6 a.m. and they turn us away and say, no, you don't have a reservation on property. What the what the hotels will do, if you cannot get this linked and your fast pass is already done, you know, if maybe maybe you don't have to worry about that. But if they can't get this link, they'll give you a card. And that card has your checkout date and that you have access to extra magic hours. And that trumps everything. So if you have that card with your reservation number and your name on it, you just show that to a Disney cast member and they let you go right on through. But that's why it's very important that you do this process correct from the beginning because once it links, it's it's nearly impossible to get it unlinked. And and really, the only time this matters, again, like Tom said, is if you are staying at a Disney Springs area resort and you're trying to do 60-day fast passes, if the linkage is not correct, you, you won't be able to make fast passes because... Disney won't recognize that you have the ability to do so. So if you're going to book one of these hotels, make sure everybody that's staying in the room is on the room reservation to avoid any problems like this. Yeah. And, and when we say all that, I mean, at the end of the day, it all worked out. and it, it did, but it seems like every time we do this, we have an issue. Maybe not every time, but we've we've had issues several times staying at a Disney Springs area resort and it, and it not linking properly. Yeah, no. And, and they were good. I mean, Listen, they didn't charge us for parking. They helped us out a lot at the Hilton. 
on, on that side of things. They gave us another room, you know, after we had a little bit of a complaint. So everything, everything worked out like it was supposed to. All right. Next question. I want to get a park hopper, but I only want to use it for one day. Is it possible to just do this for one day and use single tickets for the rest of my trip? Yes and no. Um, one of the benefits of park hopper is that, you know, you can hop parks, right? So if, if you're only planning to hop once or hop twice and you can plan that out in advance, it would be great if you could, if you could kind of buy it. Well, I only need it for one day. I'll buy it for one day. Unfortunately, if, if you have a four day ticket to the parks, you cannot add park hopper selectively. So what you would have to do is you would have to plan this out in advance and say, okay, I'm going for four days. I'm going to park hop on two of those days. So you would actually have to buy two two-day tickets instead of buying a four-day ticket. The first two-day ticket would have to have park hopper. The second would have to be single-day tickets, one park tickets. On the days that you were going to hop, you would have to use your park hopper tickets. On the days that you were not going to hop, you would have to use your one park tickets. Now, how this works from a Magic Band standpoint, I have no idea. If you have two tickets linked to your account and you scan in with a Magic Band, which one works? No clue. I don't know that I would want to risk this. I don't think you're going to save very much money at all, if any, doing this. I haven't done the math on it, but you know, I added Park Hopper to a three-day ticket and it was $70, which is pretty reasonable. I don't know that if I had bought two two-day tickets instead of a three-day ticket with Park Hopper, that it would have been any cheaper. So your best bet is probably just going to be to buy the Park Hopper for your, the entire length of your ticket. If you're going for five, six, seven days, it becomes substantially cheaper on a per day basis. And I can guarantee you at that point that it's not going to be worth it for you to split it up like that. Plus, you always run the risk of you use the wrong ticket scanning into the park. And, and then that gets screwed up. And then you get to a day where I need to park hop this day and, and you're not able to. So I would say rather than run the risk, buy the park hopper. It's not, I guarantee, and I, I say I guarantee, but I haven't done the math, but I'm pretty sure it's going to, it's going to be cheaper for you in the long run. Yeah, not. I think Pete explained it very well. That's how confusing it is. He explained it really well, and it's still confusing. You, like he said, theoretically, yeah, you could do this. I don't know why you, you know, I don't know why you would want to do this. I mean, I would run the numbers before you before you pull the trigger on that because you can do it, but it would it could be a nightmare as far as magic bands and in and out of parks is. I mean, you could run the risk of messing yourself up there without realizing it. So, yeah, good good piece of advice there, Pete. Next question we have. Uh, now, that, now that you all have been down to Disney World uh, since Galaxy's Edge has been open, I know you've discussed crowd levels at length in previous episodes. Do you feel that crowd levels, or how do you feel that crowd levels have affected other parks? And then specifically, how do you feel crowd levels have uh, have affected Toy Story Land? Are they up, down, or sideways with the opening of Galaxy's Edge? My thought would be that they might be up as there's overflow going from Galaxy's Edge into Toy Story. What do you guys think? So I think in general, I think crowd levels are lower than they were in the summer. And they are lower than Disney expected them to be today. I think that's why you see all the deals coming out and why you have noticed that Disney World is doing everything they can to get people into the parks. Now, I guess it's hard for me to gauge. I mean, Toy Story Land feels less crowded to me than it did in the summer, but the summer was a peak period. I think in general, Hollywood Studios is probably busier. And a lot of it is Galaxy's Edge related because you've seen Tower of Terror's line decrease and you've seen Rock and Roller Coaster's line decrease. I think Food and Wine has something to do with that as well. I mean, you've seen Animal Kingdom's wait times decrease. Magic Kingdom stayed steady. So I would say Toy Story Land is probably sideways to down. I mean, I, I don't think it's it's significantly up by any means. I, th- I think the overflow is, one, a lot of the people can be in Galaxy's Edge at one, point, one time. And then two, I think 
some of them are leaving and going to, you know, leaving in the afternoon and going over to Epcot. Because you got to remember, get, I mean, Hollywood Studios opens at 6 a.m. now. Yeah, and, and I was going to say that too. I think the fact that Hollywood Studios is open at 6 a.m. really thins out the crowds in the afternoon. You know, between 1 o'clock and 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. I mean, park closed really. I went to Hollywood Studios, what, at noon or so? And nothing had longer than a 40-minute wait when I got there. And, and granted, I was solo, but I was able to ride every attraction with a fast pass. I think four o'clock is about when the time hits that it really empties. I got but there, we were, but we were still able to get fast passes for everything we wanted except for Slinky Dog. Yeah, with and, four of us. Yeah, and the thing with it, I mean, even if, at four o'clock that, or I got there at like five fifteen, but when I started looking at four o'clock, Smuggler's Run was actually closed, and Tower of Terror still wasn't more than ten minutes. Rock and Roller Coaster was twenty minutes. Slinky Dog was 40. You know, Toy Story Mania was 15 to 20. And we saw that with four people. I mean, that's why we didn't use our Fast Pass there. Because it was like, oh, might as well wait standby and try and roll this Fast Pass into something else. So I would say Toy Story Land is probably a little less crowded. Galaxy's Edge, I think, I think holds the crowds well and they maintain a decent crowd. I mean, Ogas is always packed. And-, and, and like you said, there's so much to do in Galaxy's Edge and people want to see it and spend time in it. That, yes, Hollywood, Studio is crowd- Hollywood Studios is crowded, but Galaxy's Edge can absorb that. And, and another point too, and we don't have fast pass for, for Smuggler's Run yet. So that it's hard for, it's, I've always said this. I mean, it's hard for a standby line to get over 45 to 60 minutes without fast pass. And, that, and that's what we've seen anywhere from 30, 25 to 45 minutes. So yeah, I don't know. I, I think, I think the other parks have, are definitely down from where Disney expected them to be. I think you can go and have a really enjoyable vacation from a fast pass standpoint right now. I think your Magic Kingdom will always be busy. It's because it's Magic Kingdom. I think now's a really good time to go over to Animal Kingdom. And try and try and ride Flight of Passage. Well, and like we talked about, who knows why people are putting off vacations, right? A, is it too expensive? B, are they waiting for Rise of the Resistance to open? C, are they waiting for all this new stuff to open for the 50th anniversary? There's there's really no telling why, but crowd levels are definitely down. Yeah, no, I think I think all that's all that's true. Another thing I would I haven't been at, at six a.m. to Galaxy's Edge or to Hollywood Studios, but I would wonder what the what the rush would look like to go ride Slinky Dog then, because I, I I would venture to imagine a lot of people do rush right back to Galaxy's Edge. Well, and I, I mean, you talked me out of it, and I'm kind of glad you did. I'm kind of glad things worked out the way they did because we did get to see Galaxy's Edge at night and Toy Story Land at night. But yeah, I'm I'm curious too. What what is Hollywood Studios like at six a.m.? I don't. Th- I mean. Realistically, right now with crowd levels the way they are, there's no reason at all to go to Hollywood Studios at 6 a.m. Yeah, unless you want to be done with Hollywood Studios by 10. Yeah. And hop somewhere else for the day. But yeah, those are kind of my thoughts on crowd levels and what what we've what we think we we've seen. All right, next question. Would you suggest going to Mickey's Not So Scary this year? You mentioned recently that crowd levels have been too high for these type of events. Any additional thoughts? Well, it's tough to say, and we did not do Mickey's Not So Scary. Tom will be soon, but I think that I think that our opinion on this was colored by the villains event that we went to, and I think that the reason that we that we made the comment that crowd levels were too high is because the villains event didn't have anything extra, whereas a Not So Scary or a Very Merry Christmas, there's lots of other stuff to do. Right? You've got trick or treating. You've got cocoa and cookies. You've got character meet and greets. You've got parades. You've got shows. The villains didn't have any of that. Yeah, so I think the Disney After Hours events are your best bang for buck right now. I think villains, because they didn't have shows, they did experience longer wait times. But I will tell you, everything I've watched on Mickey's Not So Scary and paid attention to is they are not selling out 
and it still is ridiculously crowded. I mean, you look at it's it's and we're and we're going. I mean, Pete mentioned that we're going to go because that's going to be our Magic Kingdom day, and we're going to blow it out from four o'clock to one a.m. But it does not look like what it did when Pete and I went the first time when we were seriously walking on a Space Mountain, for an example. I mean, twenty minutes for mine train. I mean, have you have you watched wait times at all during during the parties? I I have not. I have in our social media. We have a lot of really good. Uh, folks that we interact with, you guys are great on sharing your Disney experiences, and you and you're part of where I gauge this from. I mean, hearing what you all say when you go, and it it just looks to be really really busy. And we're going on November first. I don't know if that's good or bad. I'd be stunned if it didn't sell out. And then what is that sellout number? You know, historically they said it was twenty thousand people. Uh, I can't. What does Magic Kingdom hold? Fifty thousand, something like that. I mean, I think on any given day, non non peak season, I, Magic Kingdom is probably not much higher than thirty thousand. So it's you're trying to figure it out from that standpoint. Now there are a lot of character meet and greets. There are the, you know, the trick or treating uh, lines and, and booths you can go to. That absorbs some of the crowd. There are multiple parades, shows, fireworks, spectacular. All that does absorb crowd. And if you stay till one a.m., you're gonna you're gonna be able to you know you're outlasting folks. I guess the thing is though that there are so many more dates this year than than there have ever been historically, particularly for not so scary. It's really surprising that the crowd levels would be that high. I mean, I guess people are just realizing, hey, this is something that we're going to have to pay for, and they're and they're paying the price. Whereas five years ago, six years ago, they weren't doing that. Well, the other thing they they added and changed some things this year, so it was different than last year. And I think that has piqued some interest, not not as much as Disney would have liked, because they wouldn't have given away the two hundred ninety nine dollar come as much as you want ticket. You know, if uh, and that's another and, thing, and that's the other thing. Yeah, exactly. Why? I mean, why would they? Announce that if crowd levels had been, I guess they're not what they expected. Obviously, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. But I, or maybe that they, they needed that to uh, pay for pay for some of the extra performers that they they're adding in. I so it's hard. It's so here's my thing to say. I'm going because we have a group of friends that want to go, and my wife and I want to go. That doesn't mean I would suggest everyone to go to this. I don't want. I don't like. I can't with 100 percent confidence say you're going to go to this and ride whatever you want and have a blast doing it. Because there's going to be no lines. I cannot say that. Like I, like I historically feel like I could have been able to. So next question. Uh, you all were very critical of Epcot and the World Showcase during your last episode as it related to the drinking around the world crew, is I think what we called it. Uh, my family and, I, and my family and I have kids, uh, and they've always loved the Kidcot centers throughout the World Showcase countries. Would you recommend we totally skip that now? So I, I, in short, no. I don't recommend you skip that because I don't want you to. Do, I don't want you to skip something you're paying a lot of money to go see because of the risk of there being inappropriate crowds. I think you still go to it, and if it, you as a parent judge a couple countries in, if it's something you want to continue to do. One thing that I thought about while we were there is it would be really cool if they – kind of like the China Pavilion where the Kidcot location is there. If they only let people in to that, that room that were with a child under the age of 10 or 12, whatever the age of Kidcot kind of runs out. Because then you, you don't risk the people that have had too much to drink going in there and making ruckus. Uh, but I would say you don't skip it now. Maybe a couple, and don't, but do not do it in the evening. Do it, do it early. I mean, do it right when, right when it opens and try to knock it out, you know, kind of middle of the day there. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. I, I would not recommend if you've got children being at Epcot late night because it just seems like the later in the afternoon it gets, the drunker everybody gets, the worse the language gets. I don't know though. I mean, I, at this point, if if I had a five year old or a six year old, would I go to Epcot during Food and Wine? Probably not. That that would that would probably be a a factor on my decision. Would I go when there's not 
a festival. Well, there's really never a festival. Food and wine seems to bring out the worst in people, though. And I don't, I don't know if it's locals. I don't know who it is exactly, but food and wine seems to kind of bring out the, uh, bring out the worst in people. So maybe I wouldn't go during food and wine. Maybe I would. Or maybe if you can, if you're there for a week, go on a weekday. Don't go on a Saturday. Yeah. Weekends are, weekends are bad. We, or yeah, Friday a for weekend, that matter. Maybe. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a good point. I think, and I think you get a lot of locals that go during the weekend that maybe this is where some of this is coming from. Would I skip it? No, probably not. But I'm, like you said, I'm not going at night. I'm not going on a weekend. And if I could avoid food and wine, I'm, I'm probably going to avoid food, going during food and wine. All right. So that was all the questions that we had. We did have a couple things that we wanted to mention that uh, we picked up on our latest trip and we, we didn't really mention on our uh, on our kind of trip review episode. The first thing, and I just want to make a comment, I hate paper straws. I hate paper straws with a, with a passion. The China Pavilion luckily still has plastic straws. And I think Morocco did too, right? So we were, we were able to stockpile a bunch of plastic straws. Every place else at Disney World, every place has paper straws still. And Disney Springs. And it's so, annoying. So I, I'm not a huge paper straw fan either. And here's what I would recommend if you're like us. We understand the, the message behind it. And we're not knocking that. We just don't care to drink our drinks with paper straws. What my wife did on our last Disney trip, she bought a star or a straw pack. And it had every type of straw, non-plastic, non-paper that you can have. You know, it had, I don't know if it's what rubber straws, I guess, or silicone straws or metal. I mean, whatever they were, I mean, different sizes. You know, if you had a milkshake, they had like the big wide straws for that. Or if you, and, and we didn't have to deal with Disney's paper straws. We didn't impact the environment because we weren't using plastic straws. I mean, it was kind of a best of both worlds. I would recommend doing that because when we found plastic straws in China, you would have thought we struck gold. I mean, we went in in like three separate shifts to grab four or five straws a piece. They're probably still in my in my book bag from the trip. It was it was pretty sad. And I mean, maybe people have differing opinions on these, but I can't stand drinking out of paper straw. It gets wet and then it gets. It breaks. I just don't like. I don't like paper in my mouth. Yeah, I mean, it breaks. I mean, the, the straw the straw breaks. So yeah, that that's one so, thing that I mean, great message, but that's why I, you just bring your own straws. Bring bring your own straw. Bring a silicone one. Bring a metal one. I know I will next time. Yeah, for sure. And, and we have, like I said, we have that straw pack. We it has it can't it was a, cl- it came, a cleaning kit came with it, so we'd clean it every night in the hotel room and let them dry and have them ready to go the next day. So and then finally, we we had a situation that was kind of unique, I think, to Hollywood Studios. Although I guess this could happen at it happened any, at Epcot as well. It did happen at Epcot and as well. We have it, cracked the code. Yeah, I mean, this could happen at any park where there is a tier system. So I mean, that's. Every place but Magic Kingdom right now, right? Here's what happened. Remember when we used to tell you all that you couldn't get multiple Tier 1 Fast Passes? We've cracked the code. Pete, I think we were skipping our second Tier 2. I think we were just canceling it. And that, that could very well be. That could very well be. So the situation we got in was one of our friends and I were at Hollywood Studios together. He came into the park late. I had already used three Fast Passes for the day at Animal Kingdom. He came into the park late. We rode Tower of Terror, and I went to go grab a Rock and Roller Coaster Fast Pass. I was eligible for the Rock and Roller Coaster Fast Pass. The My Disney Experience app kept kicking his name out and saying he was not eligible. So we went. Disney has all these very handy guest experience cast members scattered throughout the park. We went and talked to to one of them. He was able to scan our friend's magic band, and he said, Well, it looks like he's only used his Tier 1 Fast Pass at Hollywood Studios. So he is not eligible to get any more tier one fast passes until he uses his tier two, tier two fast passes. 
How ridiculous is this? It pre- it prevents people from from doing the exact thing we said we were going to do and just or just constantly getting tier one in Hollywood Studios. It makes you use two tier two. So what we ended up having to do was literally we got a Muppet Vision Fast Pass. He scanned in, and then we got another Muppet Vision Fast Pass, and he scanned in again. And after that point, we were able to to get all the tier one Fast Passes we want. But you do have to use all three Fast Passes, your tier one and your tier twos, before you can get another Fast Pass. And we had the same thing happen to us at Epcot. And what we did is we walked over to, we did Mission Space. We did, I guess, uh, we had a Frozen for later in the day. And all we did was just scanned our Spaceship Earth and walked off. And and we knew we always knew you had to use all three. But I think I think with Hollywood Studios' tier change, it threw us off. Because we used to always use all three. Because it was they had good tier two Fast Passes. Now they have terrible tier two Fast Passes, if, if you guys didn't know my opinion. So that's one thing to be aware of. If you're going to Hollywood Studios and thinking, I'm just going to book a rock and roller coaster and a Star Tours, not so fast, my friend. You have to book another Tier 2 and scan in before you can book another Tower of Terror rock and roller coaster, Slinky Dog, yep, or do another park first, like Pete mentioned. So yeah, that was a little uh, interesting, and there's nothing they can do about it. You, I mean, that's what you have to do. You have to use your Tier 2 Fast Passes before you can book another Tier 1 Fast Pass. The cast member couldn't override it. Nothing he could do about it. Kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, it would have been worse if we had had to wander all over the park trying to find tier two fast passes to scan into. But luckily, we were able to get two Muppet Vision 3D fast passes back to back and scan in. But kind of annoying. And, and yeah, I think, I think this is why we had a problem at Epcot last time as well. I think you're right. I think you're right. So keep, keep on the lookout for that, particularly in, in light of the, uh, of the tier changes at Epcot. I mean, how long how long do we think before Magic Kingdom has tiers? Who knows? I mean, I still think we're just going to jump right to having to pay for Fast Passes, to be honest. It could happen. And I guess technically Magic Kingdom does. You've got Seven Horse Mine Train and then everything else. All right. Well, uh, any anything else? Any other comments? That's it from me. Appreciate all the questions you guys sent in. And hopefully we gave you clear and concise answers. If those didn't make sense, feel free to shoot us another note and we'll follow up with you. And continue to send in your questions. We'll uh, we'll do these episodes as often as uh, as we get questions from you guys to answer. So, all right, trivia question secret. What do you got? So, secret of the night. Did you know when the World Showcase was built, Disney World and Epcot actually left space for ten additional countries. Since then, we've had Norway and Morocco added. Uh, so we still have room for eight more, which is exciting, and I think it's room that they will use. Uh, whether that's expanding attraction spaces or adding additional countries. So that, that's a little did you know there. Uh, going to the trivia question last week, and then we'll hit the one for this week. Last week, how many total animals, and this was kind of a rough guess, are in Animal Kingdom, and then how many different species represent that total number? So there's slightly over 1,700 different animals, or total animals rather, in Animal Kingdom. And it is 250 species that make up that total number. And again, I mean, think of the scope of Animal Kingdom. Kilimanjaro Safari, for example, is bigger than Magic Kingdom. And so that, to give you an idea of how much space they have, and you know, you think of the meerkats, for example, they've got 20, you know, 20, 30, 40, or 50 of those. So, I mean, it, there are, uh, there are some animals they have in bulk for sure. Moving to the trivia question of this week, why does Soren reference flight number 5505 before you board your hang glider? Again, why does the attraction at Epcot named Soren reference the flight number 5505 before boarding your hang glider? You can tweet us at podcast or email us at mendoww at gmail.com with your guesses, and we look forward to the participation. All right. Well, anything else for this week? 
That's it for me. All right, that's all we've got. Please tune in next week for some more Disney magic. Look for us on the Twitter at WDW Podcast. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments, please tweet us or email us at WDW at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. It really does help us out. Thank you so much for listening and giving us the most valuable thing you have, your time. We'll see you next week.